Hey, how you doing? It's Clayton here from howtodrawcomics.net. Welcome to the HTDC podcast. Today we're joined, as always, by co-host Rick Bulow and our very special guest, Moti Friedman. Moti has had his artwork published around the world since 1993, fulfilling his most recent role as co-writer and artist on Tom Rach's Black Alpha comic book series. As well as honing his abilities as a practiced comic book artist, children's book illustrator and writer, for almost three decades he's developed courses and taught aspiring artists at numerous universities. Modi, we'd like to give you a warm welcome to the show. It's certainly been a long time coming. Thanks for being here. Wow, that's the best introduction I've got yet. I can't believe it's me. <laughs> it's you, man. That's, uh, well, as far as I know, anyway. You know, we've uh, done a little actually, bit of research I about you. I also, I also learned quite a lot from you, especially your proportion course, which is wonderful. Like, oh, thank you so for... much. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've seen you recommended a few times on the group, actually. Well, thank you so much for that. Well, let me just say something before we start. If you look at most mistakes by aspiring artists, even myself included sometimes, and even professionals, it's usually proportion. Not everybody knows the muscles perfectly, and you know. But if you get the proportions right, you've you've done ninety percent of the work. And most mistakes, if you can, you know, if I give you two guys, two images, one of a professional, one of an aspiring artist, usually you can tell right away who's the professional, who's not. And if you see it, it's this proportions, because even if you look at really professional artists, not all of them know anatomy. Some of them know it, and, and they exaggerate it. And, they make mistakes on purpose or not on purpose, but their proportions mm. are always consistent. Like take Jack Kirby. He had his own anatomy, but he was consistent in his disproportions and in his anatomy and his amazing storytelling, which is the basis of everything. Yeah, big time. That's a really interesting observation you make, Moody, because recently in my own work, I've been, been noticing that I have my own set of proportions that I tend to gravitate toward when I'm drawing characters. So I think you are right. It's not like there's any stock, one standard way of, you know, pl projecting these proportions onto your characters. It's about that consistency and making sure right. that it is co coincides with itself across all of your drawings, not just, you know, a character that's in, you know, a certain proportions here and then in the next frame there are completely different size relationships within their anatomy. You know, one of the first things I sold as an artist, I think it was in the 90s sometimes, uh, was a portrait, a watercolor portrait, which are hard to do, actually, to draw portraits in watercolor. But the secrets of of, um, of doing a good portrait, have you ever said, like, for example, in front of someone and drew him, you know, just from with a pen? I used to do it on the yeah. street for fun and stuff like that. Well, you have to nail the proportions correctly, because if you draw one eye perfectly and another eye perfectly, but the distance is not correct, it look like his brother, it won't look like, like, like that person. So, but if you get the proportions right, you, you have, again, 90% of the job done. If you don't have the proportions of that. Now, what you said about you, Clayton, every artist has got his tendency. Some people tend to draw shorter legs. Some, you know, we all, some people, you know, like Neil Adams, uh, who, who he draws people a little longer, imitating that Spanish artist. I can't remember his name from the 19th century yeah. a bit. But everybody, you know, Butero with his, uh, you know, fat people. But he's consistent, again. That's why he's amazing. So we all have our tendencies, we all have stuff, but that's what makes us unique as artists. That's why no two artists really draw exactly the same. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, I, Rick? I heard you about to jump in there. Did you have some, uh, have you been life drawing lately? Well, I've, uh, I've not as much lately as I did when I was, uh, you know, I mean, 
basically fifteen years of my fifteen years of my drawing life was based on doing real life work and portraits and all that and all that. So I can agree that proportions and the importance of that might come might come for uh, anatomy. And when people ask me what what I say is should be the fundamentals, I always mention proportions. Before oh, yeah. I say, before I state the anatomy, which is perhaps, of course, maybe equally as important, but I still see import proportions in my head to be to be, but to focus on just a little bit more than the anatomy part, not making it different, uh, not making it less important, but proportions first, and then right. the anatomy after. You know, a mistake I can even show you in comic book, professional comic book artists, and I've, and I've given some of them these comments on it. Um, you see, a per when a person stands, let's like, say, on his right foot, puts all the weight on his right foot or her right foot, um, the pelvis drops with the left. The top part of the body compensates by shifting the other way. And as a result, one hand seems, you know, goes a bit lower than the other when, when a person is standing. It's clear. It's really clear. But some artists don't do this thing, and, and even after they put in all the anatomy and all the chiaroscuro, which is, you know, the light and shadow, they put in color theory and everything, there's a fundamental mistake because their structure uh, was incorrect. And by the way, if we're talking about comics, it's the same thing, you know. Mm. Walt Simonson, he was also interviewed where I was interviewed once in comic culture. Uh, uh, he said something really good interview. He said that he used to, you know, look at the comic book pages and architectural design and you know, with, with a base and building it, you have to look at a page of the structure of the page. And some pages in comic books, and you know this better than anyone probably can, they don't work because the structure is wrong. Oh yeah, absolutely. The way I see it is the proportions are essentially the skeleton of the entire character. You know, when you think about the muscles, the muscles, they're attached to those proportions. If you think of the right. proportions being defined by the bones right. of the character essentially. And then all the clothing right. and the details that you pile in on top of that, so right. if the arms of your character aren't the right length or, you know, the torso isn't long or short enough or the head isn't as big or as small as it should be in comparison to everything else because that's what it's about. It's not about the size of one body part but the size of all the body parts in relation to one another. Then no matter how much detail or, or what you do the image there on after, right. it's not going to matter because everything else depends on that. And that was so true. really one of the reasons as to why I focused specifically on that topic as the, one of the first courses that I ever put out for howtodrawcomics.net. It was because even though, though it wasn't the most exciting topic, it was the most fundamental and important one as far as I saw it, especially for comic book illustration. Oh, it's, it's, it's critical. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, so, what you, yep. Proportions, proportions. I can't emphasize it enough. I mean, if you if you take people's, you take uh, an aspiring artist and you put his or her drawings and start measuring, there's inconsistency in in the the drawing itself and between images. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I, one of my teachers uh, in comic books is Bob McCloud, and and he's to, told me always the most important thing in comic books is clarity. Now, if a character doesn't look consistent like himself, like if I was drawing you, or you always draw your girlfriend, all these beautiful women <laughs> you draw, I know she's the model, but yep. uh, you know, if, <laughs> yeah. I draw you, if I draw you, it has to look like you in every page. If I draw Superman, it has to look like Superman in every page. Yeah. And people sometimes, you look and you're not sure. So if, if I'm as a, a, a reader, 
uh, viewer of a comic book, I have to stop and, and think a bit and say, is this Superman again? Oh, yes, yes, it is. You've just broken the illusion, and you've, you've taken me, instead of being immersed in the story, you've taken me out. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's, the, that's the important thing about consistency. By the way, I must say writing is the same thing. Yeah. For example, you know, to me, it's amazing. You know, everything is so similar. Whether it's statistics, whether it's basketball, whether it's drawing, whether it's writing, they're all so similar because it all starts with structure. If you're planning a research, you have to do structure. If you want to become a better basketball player, you have to train according to a structure, not randomly. Uh, mm. And when you write, if, if you make a character, I always recommend people give each character their voice. Okay? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, and sometimes you see another mistake I see with uh, beginning writers they're 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 consistent in a bad way in the sense that all the characters sound the same but or if they make a character one time he sounds like this and another time he sounds like this one time he sounds like an american one time like an englishman one time like an australian uh so it changes you have to be consistent so you know it's the same thing in, in all arts yeah big time and that's what creates that believability that suspense of disbelief which at yeah. the end of the day is what we're aiming toward as storytellers. We want to bring the audience into this world. We want to make it convincing enough so that the readers stay there, that they forget about where they are and where they're sitting reading the book and they're actually inside this world we've created. And the way in which we do that is just like in the Matrix movie, right? Like we want to make sure right. that there's as few glitches as possible in the Matrix so that they remain convinced that this world that we've created is real and that it's compelling enough to keep them hooked. So, yeah, absolutely. But, but, and but you, you need a lot of techniques to keep them hooked. You do. You know, when, I yeah. came, when I came to comic books initially, I was, I was a bit arrogant. You know, I thought, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm going, you know, this is, I've been drawing for a lot of years. I've been writing for a lot of years, you know. So yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your background, Modi, um, as well, we get into it is, here. Is, my background is a bit uh, different. Um, I, uh, you know, I always call comics my night job. This is something I do for fun. Yeah. I do some, uh, I've got a company that's my own that, you know, we do professional writing from business plans to Markham and stuff like that. So I did a lot of professional writing for clients all over the world from the largest corporations, you know, NASDAQ firms, publicly traded firms to, you know, Israeli companies here in Israel. So we, we've done it all and I work with, you know, I'm working now with clients in the States and Brazil and Europe, China, Africa, mm. Israel, of course, where I live. So it, the world is very small now, as you know. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm working, even on comic books, I'm working on several comic books, you know, that w independent stuff and not independent stuff that I'm working. So I'm working with people in Brazil, in France, um, in, uh, in the States, in Mexico. It's, it's just it's such a small world. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, it is. But uh, so to me, I'll, I'll go to the end of the story. Uh, you know, I, I did an undergraduate degree in engineering, but I, I did that for my mother, so I, say, I always say my mother's an engineer. Uh, um, I did a graduate degree at Boston University, and then I did a PhD uh, on the subject of communication technology. But my oh. supervisor, Professor uh, Peter Evans, asked me, uh, you know, he was the dean of Birmingham then, and he asked me, why do you want to do a PhD? And I said, I want to learn to write. And, uh, you know, you do a 500-page book, uh, you learn how to write. Yeah. And it starts with structure. It starts, you know, you know, it sounds like, you know, the funny thing, most people think, oh, 500 pages, how can I fill it up? I spent the last month shortening it to 500 pages because they have a word count that's limited and you can't go over it. 
And it's easier to write um, longer than it is shorter. Uh, you know, Golda Meir was the prime minister in, in, here in Israel. She was an amazing woman. Uh, mm. Many years ago, wrote a 12-page letter. At the end of it, she apologized that she didn't have time to shorten it. Mm. So, again, with comic books, one of I, I, one thing I see, and I said I was it was it's difficult because it, comic books is a merger of words and pictures. Yeah. And they have to merge beautifully. And, you know, so I started, I was doing drawing and I was teaching drawing. And because I specialize in, in uh, human engineering, I know anatomy really well and took mm. courses on it, taught it. Um, and what happened was, you know, I always love comic books. I've got like uh, 10 yards here of comics, 10 meters of comic books here wow. in my uh, office. That's yeah, awesome. I've got a lot of comics from all over the world. And, so over there you know, in Israel, you have you have comic book stores and that kind of thing? No, not a lot, really. There's a few. Yep. You can buy a few. I, I buy every once in a while. But, you know, I, I grew up in the States. Um, I was in Switzerland. I was also in Switzerland for two and a half years, did my PhD seven years in England. So I, w I was able to collect comic books from all over the world. Um, so I always loved comic books. But, I, you know, I thought it would be easy to do. And... Um, and I discovered how difficult it is, in a sense, when I started, you know, putting more and more time to it several years ago uh, and doing more and more of it, um, you have to merge words and pictures. And comics get a bad rap. I think the name is horrible. As a marketing guy, I tell you, I would never call them comic books. I prefer graphic novels. Or, you know, there's other words, but people, comics, it doesn't sound serious. So what you have is writers. If I write a book, they'll say, oh, he wrote a book. That's great. If you're, you're an artist and you draw a picture, people say, oh, you're wonderful. But if you do comic books and you have to integrate the two, mm. oops, ah, he just does comic books. And we get a bad rap, but it's much harder. Yeah. I'm a bit different in this because I do. I usually do my, you know, I can write for other people and I can draw. I do that. I sometimes write and draw myself. Uh, and I, I always like to do the lettering because I see this part of the thing. Yeah. Um, but what I meant was overwrite. If you put too many words on the page, I remember as a kid, I used to hate it. You know, you have this small head of a figure, and somebody would put you in a word balloon with lots and lots of writing. And some of it was exposition, and some of it was really unnecessary. If, if, for example, let's say um, Superman is flying, and I, I think one of the DC comic book guides talks about it, and you write, Superman is flying in the skies in the caption. For what? What does this help in any way? We see that he's yeah. flying, right? Yeah. So you, you, either don't put anything in, in any, don't put a caption there, or put a caption uh, that explains something else or, or adds to the story or, you know, the, a good comic book should be able to be understood just by the visuals, you know, the main stuff. Exactly. And the words should be complementary, you know? Yeah, yeah. show, don't tell. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, yeah, well, explain all why. As, 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 as I mentioned uh, in, another, in another podcast, Marvel did that some years back where they had a whole month where they told that they would they, they, that the comics made in that whole yeah. month would be I made without any any word balloons or any words at, at all and that just shows your um, uh, just shows shows your point that the art in itself should, should be able to tell the story the text should only be there to strengthen that story not right not 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 guide it but strengthen it or add to it and and the word balloon should help lead the eyes everything should be you know when i started writing i you know i'm talking about in the 90s 92 or 3 
I, I, you know, I started, okay, I'm going to do some professional writing. Uh, I was just after my, I was in my graduate degree then, and I said, okay, let's start reading books about it. And they said, always think about who's your target audience. And, you know, I, I remember reading it first time. I said, okay, so target audience, what does that mean even? And today I understand that you have to write for a target audience. You have to think of your audience when you're writing something. And a lot of people don't. For example, I'll give you two completely different examples. When people go to investors, um, they write the, what the product is and what they do and stuff like that. But the investor is buying a part of the company. He's buying or she's buying part of the dream, the exit. So they're talking about the product which interests them to an investor who, who's, who can care less about the product. And if you have a wonderful product but no, you're not going to do an exit in a company, 90% of investors won't put any money into you. Yeah, wow. And in comic books, if you, if you don't understand, people are now sitting and going to read it. And everything has to be oriented towards the reader. For example, I'll give you an example. Let's say you have to lead the eye. So this is something I didn't understand in, in uh I went to, several years ago to Comic Experience there in a uh, really great workshop. Oh, yeah. They're cool, Randy. actually. I've seen some of their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Andy Schmidt, they were both a, a beautiful thing. And, you know, and, and I had some professional artists uh, give me feedback on my work. And the art was good, but I wasn't leading the eye correctly. And this is what I'll tell all the aspiring artists. Make sure all the time you have the reader in mind. How are they going to understand? And, for example, let's say you have, we're on the left page, um, on, you know, in a Latin language, in English, we're on the left page and we're the top first panel, okay? Mm-hmm. If, and if the, you have the, the, uh, the superhero there, let's say it's Superman, and you have him looking to our left, his right, okay? Yep. What you're basically doing is throwing the person out of the page. You're it's all about flow. Thro- yeah, because I'll explain to people, you know, the reason we can tell proportions well is that we, as people, see people all the time. So if a person has a problem, we, we're built to recognize this. Also for sicknesses and other stuff to help us survive, that somebody's looking strange. That's <laughs> yeah. all right. If, even if a person can't draw, he or she can automatically tell if there's a problem with the drawing, even if they can't tell what it is because of all the detail. But they, they think something's wrong. Now, have you ever had a situation, the following situation? Let's say you're inside a building and you go out and you see everybody looking up. Automatically, I guarantee 100% you're going to look up. Yeah, very true. Yeah, that's right. True. Why? Why are you looking up? Because so when when we see people looking in one direction, that's where we look. So one of my drawings had a person on the right top panel looking to you know our left, his right. So basically, instead of pushing, bringing people into the page, I'm automatically throwing them out. And wow. this is a subconscious thing. So you have to learn you know to take into account all kinds of stuff. And I. And I see so many mistakes. I've worked with Hollywood writers that did some comic books with us as co-writers, and they didn't even take into account stuff like stuff like page turn. For example, in a comic book, you should always work on two pages together. Wow. Um, because when you have two pages together, uh, you can take into account that when I do when I write scripts, I always put page turn at the end of every two pages. Yep. Um, because you know a common mistakes that I would see is, for example. On the first page, on the, on the left page, people would say, Where, who is this monster? And they do surprise. And then on the right page, they draw the man's monster. Now, when we read, we read, you know, in linearly. But when you see a page, you see all of it. Yeah. So if you do a, draw a monster, make sure you put it on the other side. And what I discovered when I came to comics, there's so many of this stuff, you know, how to lead the eye with the, bu- with the speech balloons, with the word balloons. Yeah. You have to take that into account. I love to do my own lettering before I draw. And... Um, 
I'll try to explain my process a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Help people. I'd love First to hear. First of it. all, I'm one. I'm 100% of Manga Studio X, what's called Clip Studio today. I love this program. I do everything on it. Sometimes when I color, I also color. And if I work with a colorist, normally I export it to Photoshop, and because Photoshop still has better colors than Manga Studio. <laughs> it but does. The inking to, to, uh, but the inking, the inking is much better on Manga Studio than any program I've seen, and I've tried them all. Yeah, I'm um, the same as you, Moti. You know, actually, that that's exactly what I use for my work as well. Yeah, yeah. Photoshop so, and Manga so Studio. What, so first of all, let me let me talk talk to you about a process how how I would do a comic book. Um, with people versus by myself. If I would do it with someone else, and I'm working full script, and I, you know, I just do a full script, describe what I want. I, I try not even to put panel numbers. You know, I, you know, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, because you want the artist to have freedom. And if it's a good artist, they can surprise you. Yeah. Now some some people I just do layouts and they do the final art. Uh, sometimes I do, you know, the, the pencils and the inks, but I always always do the lettering. The first thing I do is this. Let's say I'm working by myself. So I could, you know, I just could, could write the words. The first thing I like to do, and this is a t tip I got off the internet once, the name, I don't remember who's, who said it, but I call them shadow pages. Right. And I highly recommend it to everyone. I'll explain what I mean. I, I draw the panels, and I do the word balloons, but I don't draw any art. I can imagine what I'm going to put there. Maybe I did some sketches and, you know, on the side a little bit. But basically, I try to get the beat, you know. The, the way to do a comic book is to start with structure. Let's say you're planning a 20-page uh, comic book. Don't start writing right away because you see it. The, you remember that we said proportions? Mm -hmm. you, I remember it in, in stories. Like The story goes slow, 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 slow. And all of a sudden, you see that the, that the writer came and he only had two pages to finish the story. So now he's going fast. Small panel, lots of words, blah, blah, blah. Because he didn't plan out, you know, he or she didn't plan out the, the proportions. So plan the proportions. Okay, so I, I, the way I do it is, and this is the same one I do with professional writing. I, you know, if you're going to write now an article for a newspaper, they'll tell you you have 1,500 words. You have 5,000 words. You can't do 10,000 words when they ask you for 5,000. If you do, they're not going to shorten it for you. They're just, they're just not going to accept the article. So the way I do it is I say I'm going to write 1,500. Let's divide it. You know, how should it be structured? The same thing with writing a comic book. You've got 20 pages, 22, 24, 30, 28, whatever you, 100, whatever you decided on that size of that issue. Is it standalone or whatever? But divide it into parts. Say this this scene, I only give it two pages. That's it, and you have to work within that frame. Because if you give it three or four, often the critical fight scene will be too short afterwards. You want to have place for it. So I start with the structure. Once I've got, oh, I've gotten. Once I've gotten the structure down, mm -hmm. then I I do the shadow pages and with the word balloons. This is. For several reasons. First of all, I, I can change the writing because all of a sudden I see that the word balloons, they don't work once you put them in a panel. Something is too long, too short. It doesn't have a beat. It doesn't lead the eye. Something is wrong. So I can correct the writing. But it also, I this way, I get rid of you know doing the boring stuff initially because mm -hmm. I have all the word balloons. Not only that, it saves me time because where there's a word balloon, I don't need to draw under it. Good point. I can always move it and draw. So you, this is a very important tip, I think, to everyone. Um, I think I'm still a bit slow, but I'm definitely faster than I used to be, and I'm definitely faster than a lot of people, and I'm definitely putting time into getting fast, because one of the things people have to understand, the most important thing in comic book is to meet the deadline. There's the old story when the, the artist goes to the editor, do you want it on time on Tuesday, or do you want it good? So the editor goes, I want it on Tuesday, and I want it good. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. So you have to meet deadlines. If you guys, if you guys, any aspiring artists are there, there's no such thing to be late. You know, if you won't meet deadlines, people will not work with you, even if your work is superb, amazing. They just can't afford it. Because if you're slow, you, you imagine how many, you're hurting the livelihood of so many people. Let's say you're just a writer. If you're late, then the penciler doesn't have what to do. If the penciler's late, the inker doesn't have to do it, even if it's the same person. Then comes the letterer and the colorist, and you know sometimes the lettering at the end. I like to start with the lettering at the beginning, get rid of it, mm. and and because Manga Studio the, the lettering is alive. In other words, you can play with it. I can always make changes, you know, change the the stuff. And, and but once I have that, I, I can feel the the beat of the story. I can feel it if it's moving. I, I should I change something? Should this page be turned to two pages, or maybe something should be shortened, or you know? And then you can play with it. And then again, the beautiful thing about Manga Studio, I do you know, simple panels initially. And then I can play with the panels. You can change your shape afterwards, even when you have the art, because yeah. it's all alive. You, you're not committed. You, 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 you saw a proportions problem. You know, I don't have to tell you this, Clayton. Mm. You, you cut the head, you make it a bit larger, fix it around and play. And then instead <laughs> of erasing and redrawing everything like you used to do. Yeah. And people forget, you know, so once I have those, sh the shadows, then I do rough layouts inside. And sometimes it's enough to send to some uh, writer or artist I'm working with. Um, yeah. but some, and sometimes I continue. But then you have the whole story in front of you. And if you have 20 pages, then you can tell us, you know, you can imagine most of it already by yourself. And, and then you can say, maybe I can change the angles here. Maybe this can be changed. But you already have the, the structure. So yeah, absolutely. What I, highly rec what I highly recommend to any aspiring artist don't go in there because what they do is they go to page one, full energy, full detail, over detail. By page fifteen, they don't have any strength anymore. Such They're a fed up with the whole story. That, that you know because you didn't plan your time. And then plan your time. Say okay, let's be realistic. It takes what a day, maybe two, to do a full comic book page. Nobody can do you know ten pages a day. No, not you at know, all. I'm, I'm I'm trying to develop such a technique, but so far I'm ninety percent off. So so. You know, you, you know, I've I've spoken to Dave Finch, who who, who I introduced you to, Clayton. Oh, wow, and fantastic! He, he says it takes yeah. him. He he said it takes him. You know, he does two two pages, three pages every two days. You know, that's and that and he's and he's a highly detailed and still fast artist. I can't believe that. That's so crazy at that level of detail. He's amazing. Yeah, that guy's amazing. He's, he's, he's one of my. He's one of mine and and Clayton's as well. One one of our both our favorites. Yeah, I had, so, I had the I, I had the pleasure of learning from him a little bit, and uh, um, and I've been in touch with him and touch with in touch with his amazing uh, talented wife, mm. who's a who's a great writer in her own right, and uh, yeah, they did, yeah, he's, they, he's they, did guy. they did Wonder Woman together, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they've done, and she's doing some new stuff now, and really, um, really, really talented the couple, uh, but. Dave is a really modest guy, you know. He he's he's so talented and so detailed, and the way he works, he he puts a lot of strain on himself, you know, with the with with his methodology. But he, he's amazing, very systematic, also very very systematic. Yeah. But, you know, the the thing is, uh, you know, I've seen him try digital stuff, uh, and uh, I think the way to go today is digital. It's true, you can't sell your art at the end of the day, but it makes you so much faster, and and. To all you aspiring comic book artists, again, I can't emphasize enough, deadlines, deadlines, deadlines. If you won't meet them, you won't get a job, no matter how good you are, because, again, I, you forget all the marketing that has to be done for the book and the promotion after the book is ready. 
and people won't promote something unless it's ready um you know so try Mm. to always figure out what you realistically and if any of you get a job with a with um with a with a publisher big or small and they tell you something think realistically whether you can do it or not okay if if, if it's really critical you want to do it you won't sleep a couple of nights that's okay but don't be late you know Mm. um a lot of people don't understand how much energy it takes away from you when you have to do a certain pages, you know, every day for several years. And yeah. not everyone's built for it. And I've seen some really talented artists, just they just can't produce the output. Such a shame when that happens, isn't it? And um, and Todd McFarlane has pretty much said exactly what you're saying as well, Murdy, that deadlines are absolutely everything when it comes to comic books, especially nothing else matters. Um, they'll hire wow. a, a a fast artist over an artist who puts in the time and the quality into their work. Um, and ideally, you want both, but if they've got to choose, it's usually going to be the artist who is able to get it in on time, regardless of the quality. And unfortunately, that is something that we I, see I would... a lot in the comic book stores these days, and it breaks my heart a little bit because, you know, me, Moody, I love detail. I love to take my time and to put the love into it, but... Yeah. The reality is is that the comic book industry as a whole is is all about those deadlines unless of course you're working on your own projects, right? But but it's a good thing, you know. Sometimes deadlines are a good thing. And I'm talking about from the standpoint of quality because we artists we tend to overwork. You know, I've sometimes worked on I you know my wife she's she's uh she's got a uh, the green design from the Tzala Academy of Arts and she studied in the Beaux-Arts in Paris for years, an exchange student so she's an accomplished oh, wow. right, artist in her own right and uh, you know, one time I showed her, I worked on something and after an hour I showed her you know, I improved it and she said, well, I, I can't tell the difference mm-hmm. because sometimes wow. you improve something I get for that us as well. but the only one that sees the difference is us yeah. and, you know, you're improving it, you're improving it but you know, there's the the law of diminishing returns in economics Sometimes, yeah. you know, you've gotten to 98%. If you get the, the, the extra 2%, nobody will tell the difference. Yeah. When it's, you know, nobody will tell it. They're going to read it a second. They won't notice. So, you know, you can put another face in the background and some more detail, and it, nobody will notice it. That's true. Just you. How do you... And another thing is, it's... How, how do you get past those blemishes, though? Because uh, how do you get past those blemishes in your work? Like the, the areas where... No matter how many times you look at it there on after, you know that if you had have just spent that maybe extra half hour or so, you could have got it perfect. How do you get past that? Well, you know, my wife said when the deadlines, that's the only way to do it because yeah, it is. If you if you would tell artists, you know, take your time, they would never do it. And I I would also tell aspiring artists another thing that I think it's important. It's better to do ten completed projects in a year than one perfect one. Mm. You you learn much more from the ten than you learn, you learn from one perfect one. And, if you understand and, and, what I mean. Yeah, but the problem is then as well that that the, so that the quote unquote perfect one will never truly be perfect because no, as you no. continue to look at it, there's always something in your own head that you see. See, ah, I can change this, and this it will just never be perfect anyways. Even though it, that's what you're working on getting. You will never get something 100% perfect, no matter how much you try. That's why so Jack Kirby have... said. That's why Jack Kirby said something like, "Damn, or the hell with perfectionism. It's not a good thing." 
it, it could really damage art. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you're right. You can sit on it and do it again and again and again, and you'll never, ever be satisfied. And then also, let's remember that some things are a matter of taste. So your taste could change after half a year, or you've got more, you've got more experience, you've gotten better, as you said. You can always do it better. But the question is, is it worth it? You know, is it, uh, is it taking you to another level? Because, you know, the beautiful thing about comedy, there's no end to improvement. You can improve your storytelling. You can improve your, your drawing. You can learn new techniques. You've mm. seen me draw, Clayton, a little bit. You see yeah. I like to play around with a lot of techniques. I oh, yeah. to be repetitive. It's, I always try to grow as an artist. You've and, uh, tried out so many different styles. Some artists you've seen that... You've tried out so many different styles, Modi, that I've seen, and that's one of the most... Uh, the coolest things about your artwork is sometimes I don't know what I'm going to get with you. Well, my, my strength really is writing. I always feel like I'm a writer who can draw a bit. Yep. Uh, that's my strength. That's what I've been making a living for, for most of this stuff. But... I always feel that you should always get better, you know. Yeah. Jordan, when he was playing basketball, he said something like, you know, I want to get better every day. When I won't get better, I'll stop playing the game. You can always get better, you know, learn another move, another technique in basketball, in drawing, in writing. You can, and that's what you should do. And that makes the process is the fun thing. So if you're busy working on slavishly on one drawing, uh, just to improve, you know, the background a bit. And that's, by the way, I have to tell people a warning, a fair warning. Everything is a double-edged sword. So pencil's got its advantages, and when you work on Manga Studio with some sort of, you know, tablet or whatever, or Wacom or whatever, it's got a disadvantage because you can increase stuff and work on detail that you would normally not work with a pencil because you can't see. And then when you miniaturize it again and make it small again, you can't see that detail, but you've wasted too much time. So Dave, for example, Dave Finch, he says that's his weakness when he works with Manga Studio. He starts going into over-detail. You know, because mm-hmm. he loves detail, so he magnifies a little piece. But that's going to be, you know, uh, not not even an inch by inch. That's going to be a centimeter by centimeter. You did a whole drawing there, you know. Yeah. So you have to be careful with that. Yeah, that's one of the and reasons. Also, I, Sorry, go, go on. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, go go ahead, guys. Yeah, um, go ahead. Fine. That's one of the reasons. Uh, just on your point there is that that I always make sure that I zoom in no more than like twenty five percent in Manga Studio because, or ah. I'll hold up a piece of paper to my screen. And maybe I'll zoom in a little bit more than the outline of that piece of paper. But as long as I know that it's never going to be printed at any larger of a size than that, I don't need to zoom in further. And if I do, the chances of it coming out muddy or blurry when it is printed, you know, the ink kind of like starts to bleed together on all those intricate details you spent all that time putting in. Um, so yeah, absolutely good point. And especially something which is hugely applicable when it's, you're working digitally. I would like to also, say two other things. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Also, going a little back to the whole thing about not working too 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 much on 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 the different panels is the viewer who, who reads who reads who reads the panel or reads the art only only looks at it for like a top uh, at most half a minute. Let's say that even though that's mm-hmm. exaggerating. So you don't you don't need to put all those small details in because right. if you don't don't spend the time on actually unless unless they're directly studying it that panel which chances are they're not if it's just a panel in a comic so you don't you shouldn't do that because it's it's not worth it to to the sense that the, the viewer will even notice that you do it. Mm. I completely agree, and I would like to add something on that. 
again, uh, when you come to publishers, they say, you know, you send them a pinup, you know. You send a pinup say, hey, that's a cool pinup. Please send up some uh, sequential stuff. They don't care about your pinups. I've seen people that can do wonderful pinups, but they don't know how to tell a story in sequential art. They just don't know how panels work. They don't know how to lead the eye. But they can draw an amazing. And also pinups, um, it's different. When, you, when you're doing pinups, you're trying to, to make a big splash impression. In a story, you don't need that. Now, because I'm a writer, and again, I, as we started uh, the podcast, I said everything has to be from the perspective of the reader, of the viewer. And, you know, reader-friendly is the first two words my uh, Professor Peter Ribbons told me in, in our first meeting in England. You know, make it reader-friendly. And, and that always sits with me because is it clear to the reader? Now, everything should be, should be to support the story. Let's talk about detail. If you put a lot of detail into an image, what you're doing is you're slowing down the beat of the story. So are you doing this to show off your ability to draw details? Because young artists, uh, even kids, especially 13, 14, they love detail. Mm -hmm. But I remember I was like that. Um, but I thought, for example, he didn't believe in detail. He believed in the story. And he wasn't very detailed. He was he's the opposite of David Finch. He was, God rest his soul. Um, but he was an amazing storyteller. Um, so if you're doing detail, it's going to slow down the story like Frank Miller for example if you guys remember it in mm -hmm. his 80s book when people started fighting he would lose all the backgrounds of detail because it takes away from the story you don't have so when you use doing detail think a simple question is this moving my story forward is this what I want is do I want yeah. people because if I do details I want you to spend more time on that page you know, I want yeah. you to, on that specific panel, I want you to spend, I'm putting that detail on purpose. But if I, I did that now in a, in, a, in, a, in a page I drew, you have some people, two people, never mind, who's sitting on a table with a lot of detail. In the next panel, I just did a phone ringing and an iPhone ringing. And I, I took all, you know, just the head and the iPhone and that's it. I, the mm -hmm. background I took on on purpose. My colorist can play around a bit and put some colors, but I could have drawn the same background, you know, added all the detail. But the, the purpose of that, panel it was a panel on the bottom of the page it was just to lead to the next quickly and and i didn't even draw the whole head it was you just want the phone ringing and something written inside the phone and that's it i wanted to do it quickly i didn't want the reader to spend a lot of time now if i would put all the detail in the back and the outside of the window and all of that you're causing two things you're causing the person to spend less time and sometimes you're making it less clear you know i've I, i've had a, a privilege you you saw my resume uh yeah um very so nice. I've had the privilege of working like like uh, Dave, who's the, he's he's the managing managing editor of Heavy Metal. I had the pl pleasure of working with this guy. He's amazing, and he told me yeah. you you leave some white on the page. Let people breathe because if you a page is overly detailed, even a drawing by itself, if there's detail everywhere, the eye has nowhere to rest. So he told me just do an empty page, just a head, you know, with a white background, nothing. It let people it, it lets the eye breathe. So detail should be subjugated to the story moving it forward if it's not it's taking away from the story so let's do you do a fight scene and you do behind them an amazing background all this detail you are slowing up the fight scene is that what you want to do when you draw i'm not sure that's it right <laughs> yeah absolutely so, it's just about what it's about as much what you put in as what as much as you leave out um, especially when it comes to detail i've found that to be a very important lesson as i've grown and I learned as an artist because like you Modi and uh, and the other aspiring artists out there in their younger years 
I absolutely love detail. It's one of the things that drew me to people like David Finch and Mark Silvestri in the first me place. Me too. Um, yeah. But you know what? I like my artwork better now, and and I'm I'm finding that as I tone back those details and really become more selective about where I include it, and really only. And you're right as well, because you can lead strategically the viewer's eye around your image and have them digest it visually in the way that you want them to by being careful about where you put that detail. It's almost like leaving a path for them to follow as they take in the image. Right. Yeah, a different contrast, so me, tone. Yeah. Let me give it another tip here. People, if, if they see an image and there's a, a, a part with more detail and less detail, They'll go to the part with more detail naturally. So when you draw an image, if you look at the professional comic book artists, the good ones, which I'm aspiring to get to, I don't think I'm there yet, but you'll see that they'll do, for example, a cover. They'll do the head and the, the arms with a lot of details, the hands especially, and the legs not with a lot. You know, people used to laugh at the people of image comic books that they don't want to know how to draw feet, and they, they, put, um, you know, they put smokes or grass or stuff. But they're forgetting why they're doing it. These guys, Jim Lee and all those, they know how to draw everything. Yeah. And they knew how to do that in the 90s. They had to meet deadlines. So one way, instead of sitting there and drawing feet with all the toes and everything, <laughs> you just put some grass and you save yourself time or some smoke or whatever. But another thing is you don't want people to be focused on the leg unless there's a reason for the story. If Superman's lifting a tank right now like Jim Lee drew, you want it to be focused on, let's say, not on his legs. So... Add detail where you want the focus to be. That's one way of leading the eye, in addition to colors and other techniques. But that's the most important thing that I would say to, to aspiring artists. Try to figure out the storytelling. For example, don't look at the art of Jack Kirby. Some people like his style, some people dislike it. Uh, very, you know, but he's amazing story-wise. And a lot of the, the way we talk in comic books, the way we write and tell a story, was influenced by him. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I always ask people... You know, I always ask people, do you know why superheroes are really succeeding right now in film and, and superheroes became the mainstream of comic books? You guys know? No, why is that? Let's start, let's start with comic books and then I'll, I'll explain about, uh, you know, I've, I've, Michael Hogg, I had a privilege of learning from him uh, how to do screenwriting. And uh, amazing guy. He, and, uh, and, you know, he consulted with Will Smith and people like that, which of course, whom of course I don't know. But, uh, and I've seen that, you know, in screenwriting, it's all the same. You know, it's much like, it's very similar to comic books. And, and cinema and comic books are very, very similarities. Now, if you look at the top 10 movies, uh, most successful blockbusters. Yeah. They're the top. Yep. Uh, We're losing you there a little bit, Modi. So, <laughs> Modi, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry, we were, we were losing you. Yeah, okay. so I'll just say, so why, I, I want to start, why did superhero become the mainstream of comic books? I mean, Jack Kirby, for example, he did everything. He did westerns, romance, uh, yeah. monster stuff, you know, yeah. horror. Why did superhero become the mainstream? I'll explain my theory, at least, my humble yeah. theory. Because superheroes make the most of the medium. Yep. What, 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 what do I mean? You can't. You can exaggerate with superheroes. You can do science fiction. You can do magic. You can do anything with superheroes and take the, the medium to the maximum. Yeah. For example, if people that copy from pictures and don't exaggerate, what you get is very stale, uh, stiff, not dynamic uh, comic books, even if the drawing is great. 
But you see somebody that draws like Kirby with a lot of energy. There's very few people, if any, that can compete with his level of energy. The yeah. level of energy. Because he exaggerates and he understands to take the comic book to medium. So if you look at romance, it's, you know, it's like there's some movies you don't need to go to the, to the theater to see. You can see it on TV. You know, like uh, uh, some, some uh, courtroom drama. They're not, you know, if you'd see, it's nice to see them on the big screen. But if you're doing action, uh, and, and again, Hitchcock would say something very nice. He would say, if he gets a script and he sees that there's too many dialogue, too many words, too, too, many, too many heads talking, he's not going to do that movie because that script does not understand cinema. Cinema is visual. And so, is, so are comic books. They're a visual medium. So if you want to make the most of it, you have to exaggerate. You know, like, yeah. you know, Frank Miller, you say, people say I'm realistic. I'm not realistic. I draw a car, you know, 10 feet in the air. But it's the effect it has on us. We have to exaggerate. We have to. So superheroes allow you to take the, the medium of comic books to the extreme, to its mm. maximum. That's right? a really to good point. Things. What happened with, with cinema? Why initially, yes, there was some super movie. You know, there was the Spider-Man movie that I used to see as a kid in the 70s and the 80s in the States and the Spider-Man TV show and they, they, uh, the guy who played Peter Parker was also in the, the, one of the kids in The Sound of Music. He went, by the way, after a love of his life, if I remember correctly, to Australia of all places. But what can we do? <laughs> there you so, go. <laughs> so, anyways, so they had this guy on this white rope, you know, barely, you know, Batman, they had people walk, you know, they, they inverted the camera 90 degrees so people are walking. It was boring. And in the comic books as a kid, I could see, you know, Superman pulling four planets, you know. Mm. So, as special effects got better, and with all the computer and stuff, and all the visual effects, you can do anything that you want today, including, you know, Avengers and the Infinity War. You can do anything that you, you can think of, yeah. right? So, yeah, absolutely. So, you, you, so, so now you can bring the, the superheroes into the world of cinema and do amazing things that... Kids, they don't need to read some of them comic books anymore because they can see it in the cinema, stuff that I, as a kid, could only dream of. Yeah, that's a super and interesting theory. Right, so, mm -hmm. so the rule is this to, to everyone. Always understand the medium and how to take it to the maximum. And I don't think anyone ever has done it better than Jack Kirby, ever, of taking the, just, you know, just building the whole language of how to make comics and exaggerate. If you look at some of you know, French comic book, Belgium, you know, Tintin. It, it, very good, very clear, but very flat. Yeah. It doesn't have the power of the thing hitting, you know, somebody through or Hulk hitting someone. And Jack Kirby just got better and better. And if you look at it, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of number ones, real original comic books from, you know, and you, including, you know, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, stuff like that. And, uh, and you see how he gets better, you know, through the 60s. And he's been drawing, you know, he did Captain America. Look at his original Captain America from the early 40s. And how he just got better, I think he was at his prime in the 60s, uh, early 70s maybe. The, he just created so much energy in the art and stuff that he was taking it to the maximum. And you can't do that with romance. You can't do that with, uh, you know, the, the best you can do, some maybe with science fiction, but with superheroes you can really exaggerate. People flying, going through buildings, all kinds of things, and you can do it today. I mean, look at, look at the stuff. So that's why I think superheroes has become, even in cinema, mainstream, and people that are saying, no, we hate it, it's going to, it's a fade, it's going to leave like the Westerns. Well, first of all, the no, Westerns were for se Of course not. The Westerns were for several decades, and they still come every one now and then. And superheroes allow you to everything, to co co incorporate everything. 
So when you're doing, I love to do uh, personally write science fictions, not only superheroes, even with comic books. But when I do it, I'm thinking, how can I maximize the medium? How can I create mm. flow? How can I create energy? How can I create an illusion of wind? You know, the hair flowing, something flowing, a ribbon. You have to all the time think, are you maximizing it? And this is something, something actually my wife taught me when we saw art. Many years ago, we saw an artist, and, and she told me that what they taught them in Betzala is you, you take it to the maximum. So mm. if you're working with certain material, clay, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> so, so if you're working with clay, take the clay to the maximum. If you're working with comic books, take it to the maximum. Is our time out? Yeah. Oh, that, where's that coming from? That's from me. Sorry about that. That's in the background. They're not, it's not me they're getting. Sorry about oh, yeah. that. I, for <laughs> what a moment was that? There, I felt like I was in the Oscar when they put that was an uh, get off. <laughs> no, no, that was an ambulance. That was not some. That was not an alarm ah. to tell people that time was up. I thought, thought Moti had here. some theme music there for a second as he was speaking. Yeah. It sounded very no, inspirational. Like, no, no, I thought it was like the Oscars. Like I said, you know, they, they put the music so the people will get the hint. It's time to get off. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was an ambulance from the from. Wait, from here the, you said ambulance. Yeah. Look how people take into consideration the way, you know, in many ambulances, they have the word inverted so that you can see them in the mirror when they're coming behind you, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're familiar with it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're thinking about the viewer, not of themselves. So this is, this is the moment most, a lot of artists that I've often said that, you know, they went to the next level when they understood that they're to, um, to, uh, to, un mm. to understand the viewer's point of view. Let's talk in, about another thing that's common in comic books and cinema, establishing shots. One oh, time yeah. I showed some my, my art to, to a friend of mine named Mark Carlin. He's a DC Comics, amazing guy. With a, married to an amazing woman named Janice. And, and Mike told me, look, it's really good, but your establishing shots aren't good. And he explained to me why. And if you do a good establishing shot with detail, but you lay out the foundation, people know it, it helps the reader along. And Bob said, Bob McLeod, again, who I had the privilege personally learning under him, an, an amazing mentor of mine, he said, you know, you, you should try to have an establishing shot in every page or every two pages. It doesn't have to be the first one, but people have to understand clarity above all else. And, you know, uh, Kevin West, who's another great comic book artist, yeah. gave me an important tip. He said, you know, that when he draws the interiors, you know, he's going to draw a house. So he likes to draw a sketch of a layout of the house for himself that he knows, you know, this is the door, this is the window. So he knows at all time, at all angles, where is, uh, you know, he's going to put his characters. So all this stuff makes it clear. Yeah, right. Um, That's cool. I love yeah, that. So there's a lot of techniques to learn. There's a lot of techniques to learn. And once you integrate it in your art, your, your, then the details don't matter. You know, somebody yeah. will link you this way, that way, but the story will flow. And if you have great art plus a great story, you have an amazing comic book, and those are not hard to make. And I and I've discovered, you know, I've, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I just scratched the surface here. I mean, there's so many techniques, and I was so humbled, and I'm still being I'm still humbled as I read more books and I learn and I see more work. So, Neil Adams in an interview said something very nice. I've had the pleasure of talking to him once, just once for on the phone. Amazing guy, great sense of humor. But he said. If you're an aspiring comic book artist, half your time draw, half your time learn how to draw or tell stories. And he said about himself, I'm not a great artist, I'm a great storyteller. Yeah. You know? 
That's brilliant. So, so always think of yourself. If you're an aspiring comic book writer or artist, think of yourself as a storyteller. How much time do we have, guys? Oh yeah, we've got about uh, ten minutes left. But um, okay, we can go on if we if we if we can we, go over time if you've got something else to to talk no, about. No, do you um, want to talk about full script versus Marvel method? <laughs> um, sorry, what was that? Well, full script versus Marvel method, the method Stan Lee did. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, please explain. I have no idea what that second method is. Okay. I'll explain the first one, which is... The this most is incredible. I feel like I'm, I'm sitting in your class, Modi. I'm, I'm absolutely loving. I'm There's absolutely so much loving info this. Here. Mostly moments were not in my class. But... Uh, I had a student once that fell asleep, and the problem was that he he was asleep, that he fell asleep and he started snoring. <laughs> so what I did was I took the whole class out of the room quietly. I turned off the light, and I moved the clock about five hours ahead. All of a sudden, we all hear him waking up screaming. He thought that we every, every, he fell asleep and everybody left the building. He never slept again <laughs> in my class. Uh, seriously, that I now, need to remember that, was, that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, we, everybody's familiar with the full script method. Yep. The full script is, you know, somebody writes you a full, uh, a full script, you know, you know, 10, 20 each page. Basically, they're turning the, the, the writer is also the director. He's saying, he or she is saying, okay, first of all, I want in panel one, it's going to be a wide panel, an establishing shot, uh, a bit of a bird view, uh, you're going to show so and so buildings, Superman flying through, whatever, Spider-Man, whatever. And they start the whole page will have five panels, uh, and this and this and this and this is the script. And uh, in the first panel we see, and then they say uh, they write uh, uh, caption, uh, sound effect, you know, this character speaking. Whatever. They write everything, and they, and they put and basically they're turning the artist first into you know just do what I say. This is what I want. Yep. The, Mar the Marvel method was different. Star Stanley started it. And what he said was he was finding himself that he in a situation that, uh, that he had to do basically write for, I don't know, 20, 30, or 50, whatever, a lot of books every month, which was more than he could do. So what he did was he started doing plot, uh, just the plot, you know, half a page. You know, uh, He told Jack Kirby, fantastic furs. Uh, four versus God, go, you know. The very general stuff of half a page. Today they do four, twelve pages, ten pages, but it's basically you give the, the artist a plot, okay? Yep. Maybe some high points with with some not final wording, you know, what, mm. what will be in the speech balloons, what people will say, and then say, do it however you, you like, okay? Cool. And then what happens, the artist draws the whole thing, and uh, what Stanley would do, he would put the writing, he said it was like doing a puzzle afterwards, but the writing would then fit what's, what's seen visually. He could use the writing to complement, to amplify, and, and him and Jack Kirby, they, you know, basically Jack Kirby was doing the story of, in the details of the flow. It, now, it's good for the artist in the sense that the artist gets freedom because, you know, people ask you sometimes to do impossible stuff, they, you know. To do two, it's classical from uh, writers. Almost every writer does it. Um, mm. Tom Lyle said that once, and uh, you know, he, uh, in his class, he said that you know, they ask Robin enters the room and Robin's opens a window. So is he entering the room or opening a window? Mm -hmm. Right? You can't do that in the same panel. Yeah. So 
So the you know the writers ask for all kinds of stuff, but so the artist now has because he's he or she is drawing, they have the advantage of laying out the story, the beat of the story, the pace of the story. They can save themselves times. For example, um, if you draw a bird's view, then you have to show all the details. If you draw a worm's eye view, then then you don't have you, you can show a few characters and it look like as much as detail, but you're drawing it from under. So you have to think of ways of smart ways to shorten the process. Mm. Absolutely, optimizing the process. I right, think right. in order to meet those deadlines, right? And I'm sure that Marvel would have been one of the first pioneers to have come up with these different methods of doing just that. Yeah, Stanley did that. Yeah, yeah. He, he invented the Marvel, Marvel method. Neil Adams went to work, uh, I think, in the 70s. I've got some of his you know, X-Men and Avengers books. He just wanted, one of the reasons he wanted to do the Marvel method. Uh, it's, cool. it, it, it makes the artist more of the director than the writer is more just the writer. Yeah, I um, remember uh, Greg Capullo talking about something similar with when he was writing. Scott yeah, writing with uh, sorry, doing the art for Scott Snyder's Batman book, and right. he had a very early on conversation with Scott Snyder about how they needed to work in for order for him to do his best, and he said that he needed the freedom to be able to work artistically, because if he was tied a hundred percent to the script of the comic book, he just wouldn't be able to do it. Right, um, and and he added in an interview because he he learned the Marvel method. That was his training. John oh, really? Jr. Right. said, "Yeah, John Romita Jr. said the same thing. He said that's what we were trained to do. We were taught this is the method that we work. Now, today, you know, people the writers like to control and get what they want, but I think not. You know, so Scott Snyder he does do a full script, but he writes again that he can, you know, that Greg can do whatever he wants, you yeah. know, what, or whatever you like it, uh, because they almost fought and broke up, and uh, because of this, you know, they had a horrible." You know, fight in the beginning. That's what Greg Capullo said, and uh, and it's true. You know, mm. yeah. And and so if you you know, I think it was a who was it an admiral in in uh, World War Two. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he said if you tell people where to go but not how to get there, the the results will surprise you. So sometimes if you've got a good artist, you know, trust him or her. You know, give them give them the space and say this is what I want. Can you have, you have a better way? And, and, you know, a final thought that I would like to, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. I've got five kids, but I'm not a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to say something to the, to the young artists, you yeah, know, definitely. or any artists. Please, please park your egos. Yeah. The, Good advice. The only thing, the only thing, you know, if you're working, what I love, you know, I used to play basketball. And I always say that the comics medium is not tennis. Yes, I can do a comic books, and I've done it from start to finish by myself. But it will always be better with other people because they have a different perspective. That if somebody comes with a better idea than yours, then the fun people I enjoy working with, they say, "Yeah, this is a better idea. You know, take it." And some people they get insulted, like, "You know, this is my art. How dare you say this? How do you comment?" <laughs> if you're able to park your egos, you will succeed. Um, I've seen a. I've seen. I've seen a, a YouTube video by a guy uh, that does animation. Uh, no, three, he does 3D stuff. And he said, he, asked, he, he was in a lecture, and he asked a lecture, how do you know the guy, who is going to be the stars in animation, or something like that. You know, I'm probably yeah. misquoting here, but you'll get the general idea. Yeah, so yeah. he said, who, who are going to be the stars in your classroom? You know, how do you know? The most talented? No, he said, no. The guys that are going to be the stars we, we've discovered in animation are those that actively seek advice and then listen to it big time that's a hundred percent true you know, 
Bob McLeod saw my art, and I was, you know, I, I thought it was pretty good, but he killed me. And he said, you're doing a lot of stuff right, a lot of stuff incorrectly. And then he gave me professional advice, a lot of detailed pages, and here's the mistakes, and here's the mistakes. And it's not easy to get that criticism, you know, especially if you feel you're good or you're professional already. Mm-hmm. But you can get criticism. I can, if, if you notice the good ones, they learn as they go, they, they always learn. They always get, you know, they, ask, they said, they asked Greg Capullo, what's your best work? He said, hopefully in the future. <laughs> that's yeah, great. Right? And that's the best answer to give. Right. So, so I see a lot of young artists that they don't park there you go. They get insulted from everything. And you, you're spending a lot of energy. Now, if, if there's a, there, it's okay to have professional disagreements. But if you know that somebody's offered you a better way to do it, the story is moving, is getting better. You're both getting credit for it. So why not? You know, don't, you know and, and you can learn. And uh, you should come to every project with a view. The, the, my first objective, my personal objective, in addition to telling the story, is to get better. Hmm. So if you worked with someone and he taught you something, you have another technique in your sleeve. And, you know, it's, drawing is about collecting more and more and more techniques until, you know, you, your, you, you reach a critical mass. I mean, you should be, you know, able to draw like anyone, just imitate someone. But it doesn't work that way. There's so much to know that, you know, even if, if somebody sees somebody draw, they can't imitate him one for one unless they're exactly identical and have his, all of his or her knowledge. So park your egos. And yeah. the second advice I want to give to people um, that I've given this when I was interviewed by in comic culture as well, and that YouTube and TV channel. So the second advice I want to give, I think is very important. And to remember something, the, the world of comic books is not fair. The world of art is not fair. Mostly because you're going to be freelancers. If you guys are going to be freelancers, you have to take care of business. You, you have to do, you have to learn business. People yeah. ask me, what should they do? I say, do an undergraduate degree in art and a graduate degree in business administration, an MBA, or something similar. Learn how mm-hmm. to do your books, your taxes, to put away money for your pension. A lot of young artists don't think about that. And when they come to the age that they can't draw anymore, their hands are hurt or they're old, or they don't want to draw anymore, they want to retire, they don't have anything. The companies, some companies, that's a situation. And you can't, it's a small market, the book industry, and you can't change that. You can't, you know, you can't make it fair all of a sudden. So you're a freelancer. You have to promote yourself. Now, do you want to get your comic book sold? You have to, you want to get your comic book published? Prepare to get a lot of no. And remember that when Harry Porter came out, when she came with the book, uh, 12 people told her, 12 publisher told her no, or only the 12 said yes. So even when, you know, when Harry Porter, Porter came out, it wasn't the first publisher that said yes. You're going to get a lot of rejections, yeah. but know the business, know the market. And a lot of people, they don't market themselves. They don't, they don't understand business. It's a business. And mm. it, it, a lot of artists are insulted when you, know, when you tell them marketing what. They feel like they're, you know, they're selling themselves as prostitute or something. <laughs> no, it's not prostitution. It's, it's, it's common sense. Market yourself. Show your art. Don't, but always market the art. Don't yeah. get arrogant. You know, you know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's um, market your knowledge, market your professionalism. Again, deadlines, we spoke extensively on that. Yeah. Don't talk about, you know, don't talk about, uh, you know, nobody wants to work with an arrogant uh, person. No, no, no. Look, I'm the best. Thank God, you know. You know. Uh, by the way, I want to say you, you two should be grateful for me to being on the show. But let's continue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are very grateful. But uh, No, no, um, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm grateful to yeah. be on it. But, but uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm sure the three people are listening 
people who listen will enjoy it tremendously. But um, <laughs> wow, I, I'm joking. None the three of us. Yeah. No, but you know, a student of mine told me he read my books. So I told him, so you're the one. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but seriously, you know, be humble. You can learn yeah. from anyone, even if if you know you know a thousand times more than someone, but he knows one thing you don't know. You'll just you've gained another technique. So you can learn, and, and, and I'm always surprised, and I like working with a lot of people. It's fun um, collaborating on four stuff right now, and uh, four different you know, independent stuff and not independent. It'll take time for them to go out, but it's fun. You learn all the time, and, and if you do that and you're a humble, fun person to work with, um, you know, Steve Ditko, he didn't like to be interviewed by himself. He, he said, my art talks for me. He didn't like to interview us. He said, this is a brand, Steve Ditko, but he didn't try to promote himself as you know the most amazing person just because he does something and and i've seen that the most successful people usually the really successful ones um are the humble ones in french they mm-hmm. say which means just the weak is trying to prove how strong is don't come say i'm going to be the best comic book artist there's no such thing it's a matter of taste even somebody yeah. likes neil adams somebody likes ray capullo somebody likes uh, uh, alex ross everybody has different tastes and, and you can't tell me you know john byrne is he better or worse than Neil Adams? You know, hmm. Bill Sinkwich is amazing. I mean, who's the best? There's no such thing. I mean, you know, there's you have so many talented artists. But yeah. a lot of artists, they're really talented, but they don't take care of business. They don't think long-term. Mm, Again, structure, proportion. Plan your structure. Like you, for example, plan, you love to teach. Speaking of teaching, you love it. You told that to me, uh, you know, before this interview, before, you know, a year ago or so. Yeah. You love to teach. You know, do what you love, you know. Yeah, There's absolutely. So many things, uh, things we could do, and uh, I want to. I want to end, if I may, with a with a short Jewish story that influenced me at the age of fifteen. Yeah, if absolutely. Go ahead, Marty. Uh, we'd love to hear and, it. Uh, and we'll end with that. If that's yeah, okay. that sounds when great. I was, when I, and of course, you you could cut it out afterwards. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. No, no, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sure it'll be wise. Yeah. So when I was fifteen, the the school, a secular school, took us to, to to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and the rabbi there gave us a lecture. I was 15 in 10th grade, and he said, you know, and he t- and he told the story about another rabbi, uh, and he said, a rabbi before he dies comes to his his family, his sons and his daughters, and tells them, look, when I was young, I wanted to change all the world. When I was a little bit older, I wanted to change my city. When I was a little bit older and old, I wanted to change my family. And now, before I die, I don't know if I'm okay. But then he told his son, if I would start, had I started in the opposite direction, inversely, I would have succeeded. So the first thing I think a person should do is an artist, don't look at other people. Don't look, you know, he's better than me, he's worse than me. Uh, you know, people like to criticize and say, ah, he's doing this wrong or that. Uh-uh, start, where can I improve? Start from yourself. Where can I learn? How can I get better at business, at doing comic books as a person? If you start with this approach, you'll get much, much better. And that's the ultimate thing, you know, uh, is to get better. And if you get better, you're learning all the time, so it's fun. And see the results. It takes years to master any craft, writing, screenplay, drawing, playing a sport. It doesn't come, you know, and I think it would be fun to, if we do it just, you know, I would enjoy, you know, something that's really easy to you. You don't enjoy it. It's, you know, you learn something in five minutes, a game, you know how to do it perfectly. You wouldn't enjoy it, right? If a guy was, let's say, eight foot and really athletic and could beat anyone at basketball, just because he was so much bigger and stronger and they were all like little kids for him, he wouldn't enjoy the game. 
yeah. nor would we enjoy looking at them. So work on your skills. It's a it's a it's an amazing industry, and um, and uh, all I can say is you know it was a pleasure uh, <laughs> talking to both of you, Absolutely. and I really really sincerely would like to thank you for taking the time and uh, and asking me to be uh, a guest on this wonderful podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, you're more than welcome, Modi. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I think that was a beautiful anecdote there at the end, and it had a very important lesson there to learn. And uh, I know that that's a philosophy that I've certainly taken on board uh, for a long time. Is you got to start with you first in order to make the biggest impact. So yeah, thanks again. You gave us so much value in this episode. Um, and we certainly would love to have you back anytime because it, it feels like, like you said, we just uh, we just saw the tip of the iceberg there with you, Modi. <laughs> my my pleasure. No, but my knowledge yeah. is pretty much finished. That's it, you know. <laughs> no, okay. You just spent last hour to spit as much knowledge as you could, and now you're done. Uh, yeah, I've is got it. You know, I, I, I can, I'm like a movie. Uh, an hour, after an hour and a half for you, it's got to end. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, thank you so much, Modi. We'll we'll let you go there, but um, again, re a real, real pleasure to have you here. And Rick, of course, thank you for being here as uh, as my dependable co-host. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Me too. It was it was fantastic. So, by the way, Rick Rick is short for Richard. Yeah. Yep. Um, Modi is short for Mordecai, which is Morton in English. So it's just you know, just my oh, fantastic. And and Clay and Clayton is short for. As well, uh, I mean, some people call me Clay. Um, you know, my, I'm, I'm uh, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just joking. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> well, um, and the last, the last, uh, the last people that I want to thank is uh, is the listeners. Thanks for sticking with us. And uh, oh. in the meantime, yes. um, keep on creating, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the HTDC podcast. Bye.